0: Well tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter four, verse one. And the title of tonight's teaching, um, it's it's actually from a song, but it's this it says, What's faith got to do with it? Anybody ever heard a song like that? Right? Faith got to do with it. Yeah. But that is that is the title of the teaching night. So what 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 faith got to do with it, right? Because the Jewish Christians in Rome are asking Paul these questions. They're asking him, how does this doctrine of justification by faith relate to their history? And Paul's going to accept that challenge. He's going to accept that challenge. He's going to explain to them how. As we've been looking at the book of Galatians, and now we're looking at at Romans, they're kind of going side by side. And Paul's going to tell how Abraham was saved by his faith. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 4, verse 1. And it says this. I'll give you a minute to get there. And Paul's going to be talking. He's going to have like an argument, but it's actually with himself. There's nobody really there, but he's going to be acting like he's arguing. But it says this, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. To meet the views of the Jews according to the flesh, what that meant was these natural efforts. uh, The flesh is our natural efforts or this legal obedience to the law. So Paul will open this discussion by stating with this imaginary opponent. And what he says is, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? And what they discovered was this. They found grace and mercy through God. For those who claimed Abraham as a physical ancestor, there was an understanding that he had found mercy based on his works. In fact, the literature from the time insists that Abraham was perfect in all his deeds. And that's what these Jewish people thought. They thought that he was perfect. What they were saying is, if we keep the law, if we work harder, or if we're good enough. But what's good enough? What is good enough? Does anybody know? Is it 50% of the time? I had a discussion with a brother here once. He was telling me about that. Is it 51% of the time? How good is good enough? What percentage is it to get you by? Or what's the lowest percentage? To get us by. But it's not about what we think, it's about what God says. And the Jewish people were proud to be called Abraham's children. And Paul will use Abraham as an example of someone who was saved by faith, not his works. Now, Paul's asking another question. It may seem like he's moving on to another topic, but he's not. This Greek word connecting the word boast that's in there, this shows that he's building on preceding argument, the potential of Abraham boasting about something. Has anybody here ever boasted about something? No? Nobody? <laughs> I'm, I'm not the only one that does that? No, skip. But we all boast, don't we? We all boast at times. People like to boast about their jobs or what about how much money they make or where do they live. A lot of people like to do that, don't they? We like to talk about these things. We like to boast about the things that we have. In Psalm 75, 4, it says, I warn the proud to stop your boasting. Proverbs 27, 1 says, Don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring gods against us boasting but we do know we don't know what the tomorrow will bring but we do know who will bring tomorrow don't we and that's our god in romans 11:36 it says this for everything comes from him and exists by his power and, and is intended for his glory all glory to him forever. Amen. Everything we have comes from God, and it's for his glory. You know, these scripture references about boasting in 1 Corinthians 2.1, it says, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We only need to boast in Christ for what he's done and who he is in our lives. In Ephesians 2.8, it says this, Ephesians 2.8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we can boast about a few things, right? We can boast about what our God has done for us and who our God is. After all, if Abraham had been justified on the basis of the things he'd done, he would have had some grounds for boasting, right? He would have had some. He would have been able to boast about his accomplishments, but he didn't. You know, have you ever seen a football player or an athlete or someone that's uh, like a, a movie star? They get up there receiving a reward, an accomplishment, and what's the first thing they do? They acknowledge God they acknowledge god for the giftings that he's given them that allows them to do what they do it's just like our paychecks right we say oh that's mine but didn't god give you the gifting to earn that paycheck because everything is his and it's from him and paul is going to build directly on this rhetorical question in romans 3:27 it says this where then is boasting It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. He had nothing, Abraham had nothing to boast about in the presence of God, and neither do we. We have nothing to boast about except Christ himself. It's not about what we've done Or what we can do, it's who Jesus is and what he did for each and every one of us on the cross. Have you ever heard the phrase, jack of all trades and master of none? where we're trying to work at a little bit of everything. We're trying to do all these different things. Sometimes in the kingdom, we try to do that, right? We're trying to do all these different things because we think that we're working for the Lord. We're trying to please him. And I can tell you one thing. He doesn't care what you're really doing for him. He wants to know what you're doing with him. And what you're doing with him is your relationship with him because we can work as hard as we want but what about that relationship? So when it comes to that master of all trades or jack of all trades, master of none, it really should say that we are a master of one, and that's our faith. The master of one, that's our faith. Bringing our faith to the forefront. Putting our faith in God above all the things in this world. Trusting God in all circumstances of our life. It's not about what we can do for Jesus. It's about our relationship with Him. And I want to challenge you with that. Because sometimes we can get into that works mode where if I continue to do all this thing, it's not good. Spend time with the Lord. Spend time on your relationship. If you're going to work at anything, work at that. Work on your quiet time. Spend time in the Word. And then in verse 3, it says this. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The Old Testament does not show Abraham as one who took pride in his own actions. And if we know Abraham, right, did Abraham make some pretty poor decisions? There were some poor moral decisions that he made. So he didn't really have a lot of pride in the things he was doing anyway, because they weren't good. But the Jewish people knew these scriptures as well. And Paul is saying that, think about this for a moment. Abraham was not pronounced righteous when he was doing something spiritual or sacrificial. Do you know anybody that's like super spiritual? Anybody know that? They're like, oh, you know, this wasn't Abraham. He wasn't super spiritual or sacrificial. Rather, he simply had believed in God. His faith in God, and it was the basis of that faith That he was accepted in being righteous in front of God. Just like us because we're saved by grace through our faith. And we receive grace grace through faith, our justification. And that's what the title of the teaching is. What's faith got to do with it? That's it. Our faith. Believing in Jesus Christ. That's where grace comes through our faith. Now, according to some of these rabbis and their teachings, Abraham's faith was in itself a work or an action that gained God's favor. That's not true. Believing God, Abraham received grace and salvation. It was something that he did not earn. And Paul addresses this. He looks at this in this case. As you look at verse 4 and 5, he says this. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but an obligation. Everybody working in here? Anybody working? It's not a gift, is it? It's not. And this verse that means that a person could earn the right standing with God by obeying the laws and working hard and just being good. Is that true? No, it's not. But whose eyes are we looking at? Are we looking at from our eyes or are we looking at it through God's eyes? But think about it. If Abraham could have been pronounced righteous by the things he did, what about when he left earth? Right? What about that? Or what about the fact when he was willing to sacrifice his son? This would have given, if this would have been the thing, he would have received salvation as a reward, something that he earned for doing things for God. If Abraham had earned his position before God, his righteousness would have been due him for the following, the law and the works, or just being good enough. But scripture says this, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. But just as wages are owed to the laborer for the work that he's accomplished, the the granting of the gift of salvation and grace would not have been a free act because it would have been an obligation. God would have been paying off a debt God doesn't owe us anything, does he? Let me tell you something. God doesn't owe us anything, but if we're gonna be truthful about this, God does owe us one thing because of his righteous judgment. What he owes all of us is we we deserve hell. That's what each and every one of us deserve. And I know you didn't come here tonight to hear, oh, Pastor Craig said we deserve hell. But really, that's what we deserve. We do deserve hell, but it's because of God's grace and his love for us. And Paul's argument is that nothing about what Abraham did or just like us today, nothing we can do. It's not about our performance. And I can tell you right now, I'm happy about that. I am very happy about that. It's not about my performance. It's not about the things I do or the things I don't do. God does not keep a record of our work so that he might give us some kind of reward other than just believe what what God said is true. And that justified Abraham, and it justifies us today. So if you're attempting to work, or if we're all attempting to work our way into God's favor, whenever we think, Lord, I've prayed so much today, and, and I know it's going to be a great day, and Look at all the things that I've done for you. It might seem like God owes us something, but God owes us nothing. Abraham's faith was an openness to receive what God freely offered. He didn't earn anything. We can't earn anything through God. It's through our faith. The righteousness that Abraham received was not a wage that he had earned. It was the free gift of grace that God bestowed upon him. You know, um my son lived with me for a while. I mean, he's 40 years old now, so but there was a time where he was cutting my grass and I was paying him to cut the grass. And we came upon a fair wage, everything was good. The amount we settled on, everything was really good, but it wasn't a gift to him, he earned that. And later on, quick kind of going off to the side because I'm going to talk about him. He's not here. So this whole grass thing has always been a little niche for me because when he moved back home, he was cutting my grass. And then all of a sudden I was trying to get him out of the house. Okay. <laughs> try, try, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get him out of the house. And so what did I do? I started charging him rent. It was, it was very low, but I'm trying to help the little bird get out of the nest, right? I'm trying to do this. What did he do? He stopped cutting my grass. <laughs> so we had to have a talk. I said, what are we doing? He's like, well, Dad, I'm paying rent now. If I'm paying rent, I don't have to cut the grass. Okay, I get it. But the point was before, he worked, he paid because he earned it. Now that he wasn't doing that anymore because I'm paying rent, and there's a whole other side of that. Maybe Cindy will tell you about the other side later. That's <laughs> okay. But Paul says that Abraham's righteousness was not something that he earned. He had not merited God's favor by working. He was not given this reward for something that he had done, that God had freely given his grace to Abraham by his choice. And each one of us has a choice as well. And that choice is to believe and trust in our Lord. Abraham's faith was not a work that forced a bargain from God. All we can do is surrender ourselves in faith on God's mercy and his grace. That's what our faith is all about, trusting and believing in him. Amen. Amen. Because we know what his judgment should be. And he's a just God. It was an openness of God as a responsiveness by which he accepted what God had given him. And each one of us need to receive that as well. In verse 5 it says, However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Sometimes when people learn that they are saved by God through their faith, they start to wonder And they start to worry about their faith. Do I have enough faith? Is my faith strong enough to save me? And I think when we get to that point, we're really missing the point because that's the enemy speaking to you. The enemy puts those kinds of thoughts in your mind because Jesus saves us by faith. It's not our feelings or our actions. Jesus is strong enough to save us no matter how weak our faith is. Didn't he say to the disciples, ye of little faith? All of us sometimes struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with doubt in situations. But Jesus offers us salvation as a gift. Why? Because he loves us. He loves each and every one of us. And it's not because we've earned it through our powerful faith. If this were true, true what rule of faith really play in our lives? Faith is trusting and believing in in Jesus Christ and reaching out to accept this wonderful gift of salvation. And Paul now brings out the big guns in our next verse. And this he's saying this, the idea of what matters is not the rules or regulations of the law, but just believing in God and having a relationship with confidence and trusting in him. As we look at this next verse, we're going to see King David. And Paul uses King David as an example. And we all know that King David was guilty of terrible sins, right? Adultery, murder, lying. In verse 6, it says this. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. God forgives sins and gives us righteousness, not because of what we do or what we don't do. And it's not based on our performance. It's based on his love for each and every one of us. It's because we believe in Jesus Christ and what he's already done for us on the cross. In verse 7, it goes on to say this, "'Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered.'" Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Amen. Amen to that. Paul calls David as this witness. He's quoting Psalms 32, and it says this, that he was saying that God doesn't count these sins against us. And Paul uses David's psalm of confession after his terrible sin with Bathsheba. Literally, the word blessed means, oh, how happy. David saying, oh, how happy. And even though he was a sinner like us, he would experience the joy of forgiveness. And that forgiveness is because of the cross. Christ redeems our bad choices. And we all make bad choices. I've made a few today. But God redeems those. He redeemed them on the cross. And it's because we believe in Jesus and what he's already done on that cross. And David would experience the joy of forgiveness just like we can experience that joy of forgiveness as well. In other words, once our sins are justified, our record contains Christ's perfect righteousness. It's not ours. When we come up to heaven, right, he's not going to look at us. He's going to look at Christ. Look what Jesus had done for each and every one of us. It's not for about us, right? Because we're all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. But our sins are not counted against us ever again. And we can have this joy as we receive grace. He was justified by his faith. And sometimes we need to get rid of that guilt, don't we? Sometimes we have guilt over our sins. We need to cast them upon Jesus, leave them at the foot of the cross. And first thing is we need to recognize our guilt and that we are sinners and ask God for his forgiveness. We all sin, and these sins need to be forgiven so that we can have fellowship with God because our sin separates us from our holy God. And these sins, once we repent of them and receive Jesus Christ into our lives and receive that grace and that salvation, these sins are never held against us again. The second thing is let the guilt, let our guilt and believe that God has forgiven us. This can be difficult when sin has taken root and it's grown over the years or when it's very serious and it involves other people. David says, Happy is the man who understands that God accounts and pronounces righteousness apart from anything that they do, anything from the law. Oh, happy days, right? It's not about us. God does the heavy lifting in all this. He did the heavy lifting. And that God keeps no records of our sins in view of the tremendous price that Jesus paid on the cross, we should never think that any of our sins are too great for Jesus to cover and forgive for us. If you think that, that my sin can't be forgiven, that's the enemy. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for each and every one of us, we should never think that there's any sin that's too great for Jesus to cover. Even though our faith is weak and our conscience is sensitive and our memory haunts us, God's word declares this in 1 John 5, 7, it says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth, but... And we believe and trust that Jesus is willing and able to forgive every sin. And then in verse 9, it says this. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. The blessings of grace are for everyone and for all of sin. God's amazing grace for God so loved the world, and that includes everyone, whether you're circumcised or not. Don't you love getting into these texts with the circumcision and all that? We talked about that, but God's grace is for everybody, right? Everybody. In verse 10, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. Rituals do not earn any rewards for Abraham. They didn't earn any rewards for him. God does not keep a record of our work so he might give us some kind of reward. He had blessed him long before this circumcision ceremony was even introduced. In this case, Abraham was blessed way before that. In fact, it was 14 years. And Genesis 15, 6 recalls the experience before the birth of Ishmael was born that Abraham was 86 years old. And then it says this in Genesis 16, 16. When Abraham was 86 years old, when Hagar bore Ishmael, in Genesis 17:1, Abraham was 99 years old. So it was way before that. Abraham found favor with God by his faith alone, not a ritual. So let me ask you this. Does anybody have any rituals that they keep? Do you guys have rituals in your families? Like when we have holidays and stuff like that? Traditions. Yep, we do traditions. Examples of some rituals, you know, like throwing salt over your shoulder or whatever. You ever seen those kind of things? Birth rituals? People have those. Football. John, thank you for that. (laughs) Got to have rituals for football. You can't, can't win a game without doing your ritual, right? What about holidays or special trips, birthday celebrations, or passing down heirlooms? There's all kinds of those things. But the point about rituals is, you know, my son had told me one time, this was years ago, he said, you know, Dad, if I see that, I would believe it. I said, okay. So not only seeing is believing, but doing is believing, right? Mm, No, because when we believe, we see. That's how it works. It's not the seeing is believing. When we believe, we see. That's how it works. And that's through faith. Faith is about believing and seeing. And now Paul turns to this circumcision, one of the foremost distinctions of Judaism and how it related to Abraham. In verse 11, it says this, and he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believed, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. You know, we were talking about the book of Galatians. We're doing that on the weekends. And Paul gives us some important facts about Abraham's salvation that proves that these these, uh, spiritual experiences that they had, that they weren't like others. And they're like ours today because we believe in faith. Circumcision and rituals or works do not earn God's favor at all. They didn't do it for Abraham and they won't do it for us. A sign of an authentic righteousness which is received by his faith when he was still uncircumcised it wasn't about that dating back to Abraham the right provided a physical mark that identified a man as being a member of the covenant community of God circumcision was not a work that merited God's favor but the Jews were confident that because they had done this ritual act, this work, that they had earned a relationship with God. They looked at Abraham and they said they felt that his circumcision was that work and it guaranteed a standing with God. But he had received God's blessing and grace before this even happened. Here in verse 11, Abraham was called the father of all them that believed, meaning Everyone who trusts in the Lord and believes in Him in their faith and not in their work. Ceremonies and rituals serve as a reminder of our faith and what we believe. But faith is the key to one's relationship with God. It's only faith. The application for us is religious rituals and routines do not enable a person to be saved We're saved by faith. God has only one way for salvation, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. In verse 12, it says this, And he then also, the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. He was justified by faith, not by anything he did. In verse 13, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir to the wor- of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Since all God's dealing with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob happened before the giving of the law, we can say that they were not the promise was not based on the law. The law cannot bring us into the blessings of God's promise. This is not because the law is bad. It's because we're unable to keep it. We can't keep the law, right? Instead, they are based on God's declaration of Abraham's righteousness through faith. Faith. By emphasizing the faith, Paul is not saying God's laws are unimportant, but it simply does not save someone by obeying them. God's laws are important. Remember why God gave us the law? We learned in Galatians. The law is there for us to show that we are sinners. It's like a mirror that we look in that we see that we're sinners. We're all sinners. And God, through this, he's working all things to the good. This brings us to the knowledge and the saving grace, knowing that we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. The law brings us to that. It shows us how bad we are and that we need a Savior. They work together. Abraham was a blessed man simply by his faith. In verse 14 it says, For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgressions. Paul's not suggesting that there is no sin apart from the law. The tendency to sin is present even in the absence of law. What Paul is saying is technically there is no violation of the law until there is a law. There has to be a law. Example, let me give you an example. If you were here when I spoke about Galatians, I talked about speeding down the highway at 80 miles an hour, which I was the only one that did in here apparently nobody else does that. Thank you for that. But years ago, and I'm going to show you my age, I don't know, most of the states we went from 75 to 55. You remember that? So you guys are kind of with my age. You know where that's at, right? But that new law, I think it was in the 70s when it took effect. they were crawl. We were crawling down the highways, weren't we? 55 was like crazy slow. It really was. But the people who in the past years that were going 75, they were not tried and fined as lawbreakers when the new law took effect. They weren't tried because of what they did before. The point, there was no transgressions of the new law until the law was enacted. And these religious uh, confidence based on observing the law proceeded presented a challenge for Paul, which he will continually confront through the book of Romans and Galatians. Paul says here that if those who obey the law are heirs to God's promise, then both faith and the promise are null and void. Paul said it's worthless because sin isn't breaking the law, but it's breaking our trust with God. Because sin separates us from a holy God. Sin separates us from the presence of God. It's about our relationship with him. Denying his love, not obeying who he is. And God's plan for redemption is centered on our relationship. It's about trusting him in his love. It's about faith instead of keeping the law. When we center our relationship with God on law keeping instead of trusting in his love, we're wrong. For Paul, the right relationship and for us today with God has always been and will always be about faith and who he is and what he's done. Relationships with God are based on faith and faith alone. You know, there are a lot of Big church words, and sometimes we hear those, and tonight you've heard justification, you've heard sanctification, and you hear reconciliation, and those are the three steps are justification, sanctification, and glorification, right? When we're saved, and then when we, we're set apart and we grow, and then finally when we go home, that glorification part. And there's a lot of big words that we throw around sometimes that are in the Bible But let me tell you what, there's only one word that we need to know, and that one word is very short. It's faith. It's faith. And faith comes from knowing Jesus Christ and having a relationship with Him so that we can receive His grace and have peace. Because of our faith in Jesus, we're told that we can know peace, the kind of peace that can't be shattered by that phone call that comes at 3 o'clock in the morning. And you know when you get a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's never good. But you have that peace that comes from your relationship with the Lord. Or what about when you get that call from the doctor's office with the test results and when the doctor is on the phone? Because when the doctor's on the phone, it's never good. But we have that kind of peace because it comes from within because of our relationship with Jesus through our faith in His grace. God is our perfect Father, and He allows us to go through sufferings to help us grow in our faith. And we all go through this. We all go through sufferings. We all go through trials. But through all that, we grow in our faith, and we depend on Jesus for all of this. And when we fall, he's there to pick us up, isn't he? Each and every time. And knowing this gives us new courage. It gives us hope in that what the faith that we have in believing in Jesus Christ and trusting in him and trusting in what he's done for us. It's not about what we can do. It's not about our performance. It's about what Jesus did for each and every one of us on the cross that one small word, faith. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. And Father, we're thankful that you do the heavy lifting, that you're the one that's running after us each and every day. And it's not about our performance, what we do or what we don't do, because you love us so much and we're so thankful. So Father, tonight, May we increase our faith each and every day. May we keep our eyes focused on you and above all the circumstances that happen in our lives. And may we just keep our faith strong, knowing that you love us and that our relationship with you will go on for eternity. Not to think about the works or the things that happen in this life because they are not only temporary, what's eternal is our relationship with you, which is our faith in your grace that you give each and every one of us through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.